hustlers, road players, tournament champions. Hear the stories, get their advice, learn about their lives. Our host, Joey Ryan, brings you an inside look at the professional pool player. You're listening to the Pool Player Podcast, brought to you by Pool Scene 365. Hey guys, Joey Ryan. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode with Scott Frost. This episode started back in September with a recording that Scott and I did where we lost about 40 minutes of video, uh, but I still had the audio from it. And I really debated for about two weeks whether to roll with it or to go back and re-record it. But I don't like to do things halfway. And you know, I called Scott back and he was really gracious to agree to meet up again and finish the interview with full video. So you'll notice about halfway through, you'll see kind of a change in clothes, even a hairstyle for me. <laughs> but uh, we got it recorded and I think you're gonna love it. So to tell you a little bit about Scott before we get started, he's the former US Open one pocket champion, former Derby City one pocket champion and Derby City ring game champion. He's also a legends of one pocket champion, uh, Music City Open champion. He won the US Bar Table Championship and he's the 18 time Arizona state champion. He's also uh, in 2019 was elected into the One Pocket Hall of Fame. So great accomplishments and that's just naming a few of them. But some of the topics that we dive into today are really how he got started in pool, um, what was his biggest score. We go into uh, who he would rank as his One Pocket top five right now. Uh, what he does outside a pool. And I think the thing you're gonna appreciate most are some of the stories that he tells. Uh, great storyteller, and I think you're really gonna enjoy this. So ladies and gentlemen, Scott Frost. Well, what's up everybody? What's up, Joey? Oh, not much, man. I'm really excited to have you on. You know, when I told people I was doing a podcast, you know, people know I live in Arizona. Uh, you were the number one requested person that people wanted to hear from. I don't know if you know that. That's pretty cool. Awesome, man. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, by the way, for doing this. Uh, this is uh, obviously a brilliant idea and a great way to spread the love of the game. And that's what's most important. Yeah, thanks, Scott. I appreciate that. Tell Absolutely. Us, tell us how you, you got started in pool. People want to <clears> hear your story. Uh, I, was, I, I, was, I grew up in a small town called Urbandale, Iowa. It was a suburb of Des Moines, and I was, uh, my whole family, none of my, excuse me, none of my family was involved in pool. Uh, they were all, my dad was a banker, my mom was in sales, and I was in sports. Uh, since I was a young child, I played soccer, baseball, basketball, and football year-round, year-round. And when I had time, I did a little fishing. But I was, I, I grew into myself and became first-team All-State point guard basketball player in high school in my uh junior senior year and um I, I was a real hard worker um but my brother was in the military he was in the air force he's a little older than i am he'd gotten really sick um had a, had some type of bad virus and he was stationed in rome new york i missed one practice my mom wrote me a note you had the rules were in this in this in this basketball league and high school is that you had to get a note in order to miss a practice and if you missed a practice you could go to the game, but you couldn't dress up. No big deal, right? I was the hardest worker on the team. I literally won every suicide. I did everything I could. I was the first one to get there, last one to leave. But my coach had a son that was competing as point guard as well. 
And he always had it out for me, even though his son and I were friends. Um, so anyway, we go take this quick trip to see my brother. He makes it through. He's healthy today. Everything went fine. Uh, I get back on a Friday afternoon. I come to school. We're getting ready to go to the game, and we're all getting on the bus. And I had my gym bag over. I, I just never forget it because I had it over my left shoulder. The reason I'll never forget it was a defining moment in my life. I don't know if it was a good or bad moment, but it was a defining moment in my life. And I was I was walking up the steps to the bus, and the coach is the last one to get on the bus at all times. <clears throat> I'm walking up the steps, and he yells, hey, Frost, what the hell do you think you're doing? And I turn around, and basically he was insinuating, why the hell am I getting on the bus? And uh, I was like, I, I was just speechless. I was actually devastated. I was floored because I had a feeling he was going to try and pull something. I just mm -hmm. had this feeling. So as my, my bag was on the left shoulder, I grabbed it with my right arm and I whipped it at him and I never touched another basketball competitively to that, to this day. Um, so the regrets are the wonder of what would have been when my body filled out. Uh, you never know. Cause I was real skinny. I was 165 or so, but I handled the ball real well. And, uh, so I don't know, but anyway, so later that day, go ahead. I was just going to say, you're pretty tall too. You know, yeah, I'm six, like, I'm like six, six three, yeah, six, six three. three, but I was probably around six, one or half six, two then. And, and I could dunk, uh, on a good day. I had struggles every now and then I never tried it in a game, but I could dunk in practice. But anyway, so ironically, this is why it's all so wild is later that day, we have to take two bus stops to get to my, my good friend's house or my old good friend, my high school buddy, his name was Corey bird. <laughs> and we were at the second bus stop and right caddy corner is, is a pool hall called encounters. Um, and it was owned by, um, a world champion player named Don McCoy, who Keith McCready knows very, very well. Mm -hmm. Um, there's actually a YouTube video of Efren Ray saying Don McCoy was the best money player in the seventies and eighties. But anyway, so he talks me into sneaking in there and you know, the rest is history. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it could have been a strip club too. Encounters. Huh? <laughs> yeah. You know, the name, that's why I really, I've actually done a lot of other podcasts and other interviews and, and the pool room's no longer there. I've actually used a different name. I, I actually hesitated here too, because I'm like, yeah. people probably are like, but the name never suited anything like that. It was actually really clean. It had like 12 bar tables and 10, nine footers. Uh, it, it was not like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was actually a really clean place. They just served beer and wine. It was pretty cool. Well, I tell you is, is, uh, the hard feelings that you have for your basketball coach, it's probably nowhere near the rest of the pool playing public that's lost to you and lost money to you. Right. <laughs> cause, I, I, cause, yeah, cause you I might don't... not have ever gotten involved in pool. You well, know, right. Yeah, and I don't really have hard feelings towards them anymore, obviously, right? Because I, I am a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. I really do believe that everything happens for a reason. Um, I have to believe that because I've had some pretty tough things, and I think we all have in our life had tough yeah. things happen, and you have to believe that there's a reason for it. And, you know, it's part of life. Yeah. What what, what brought you down to Arizona? Oh, uh, jeez. What did bring me down here? I was on the road with Gabe Owen, who, who's a U.S. Open nine ball winner, and great player in his time. He got off and got involved in some other things and doesn't really play as much as he used to, but he was a heck of a player in his day. But we were on the road. What was I doing down here? Well, I think we stopped through here on the way to Vegas, and um, 
I never showed my face. I was, the people that are local here talk about this story quite a bit because I was known. Gabe wasn't really well known back then. Uh, so I stayed in the hotel and kind of told him where to go. And uh, at, I'll, I'll just I, I met Angel Paglia and she mm-hmm. was she was a player here back then. And I'd met her. I think we were on our way to Vegas for a tournament, me and Gabe. And we decided to stop here. And I stayed locked up in the hotel room because I didn't want, you know, I didn't want to knock Gabe's action. And uh, actually made, you know, we did really, really well. Um, but during that time, I got to know Angel better. And we became pretty tight. We came really close. And I never said I'd leave my parents or leave my hometown because I love it. And I still do. And I miss it all the time. And I said, I'd never leave my hometown. But I did. I moved down here to Surprise Angel um, like four or five months after that. But we yeah. were on the road down here, and then I met Angel Pagula, and I moved down here for that. Wow. And I, and I never left. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the thing that fascinates me most about you is, you know, when I was starting to play pool, and I was never near your level, but as I was getting uh, better, people would tell me, they would say, hey, um, you know, you should really learn one pocket. You could sneak up on so many people. You can make so much money. And for me, I don't know. I just, it, it, it was an acquired taste. And I think sure. it is for a lot of players. They start off playing rotation. You know, they're firing balls in from everywhere. And then you play somebody that you can give the seven, two, and nine ball, and they beat you in one pocket. They just torture you, you know, and you're like, yes. whoa, I got to learn this game, you know? Yes. And, but you kind of started the other way, you know, where you were more of a one pocket specialist. And the funny thing, I'll tell you this, you know, because we're friends and hopefully you don't get mad at me. Yeah, yeah. But I remember thinking like, can Scott even play rotation? Like maybe I'm, maybe I can take a shot at him. And then I right. was like, Oh no, I cannot take a shot at him. You know, <laughs> it, he definitely is a world-class player in rotation as well. You know, it's just your specialty is one pocket. So how did you get started specializing in one pocket? Well, for the record, actually I started out playing nine ball, but most people think that I started out playing one pocket because, well, I'll just tell a story real quick. Is that all right? Yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> kind of similar to what you're saying, but uh, when I was playing, uh, I started in 93. Corey Duell actually just sent me something for our junior. We played junior nationals together in 93. My goodness gracious. So in 93 is when I really started, when I started playing pool. And I only played, I played nine ball from 93, 94, probably around 95. And there was a guy in the pool room. That that I could give probably the six, seven, eight, nine to. He was a pro golfer, yeah. and that's actually the first guy that I met when I snuck in the pool room. Him and I became partners gambling. We 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 made a lot of money together. But anyway, I was giving him a big spots. I was I actually reminded myself of Bobby Emmons on steroids. Like I my cue ball was probably pretty terrible, but I I center ball punched everything, but I never missed. I just I shot lights out, but I played nine ball all the time. So I was beating my buddy. And we weren't gambling real high, but I was so competitive, it didn't matter. I think we might have been playing five a game or whatever it was. And when I say five a game, I'm talking about one pocket because he wouldn't play me nine ball anymore. And I couldn't beat the guy playing even. And and he wasn't really good, right? And it drove me nuts. And I didn't like the game, but I forced myself to play the game. And then, so what was I? I was, I, was prob- I was probably just turning 18, actually, when I started playing the game. But my reasoning really behind playing the game was back then that there was no cell phones, there was no internet. Like, 
you didn't know who people were. Like I, yeah. if I, if I went to a town, nobody was going to know who the hell I was. Even if I was somebody that was just coming on the scene, they're probably not going to know who I was. So my whole plan was that I could play one pocket, um, for a couple of years in my hometown and then hit the road and maybe make some money because I was the research I'd done. I was, I was gathering that one pocket was for older players and more experienced players. Right. So that's what I, that's what my whole plan was. So my parent, my mom bought me a $500 pool table. Um, it did have slate, but it was eight foot table. Two of the pockets were ripped out and I, I learned playing one pocket mostly on my own. I would play myself. I had one, one, uh, VCR tape of Perica and Efren. <clears throat> and it was one, one pocket match. That's all I had. And I would watch every second of that match and replay it. I probably watched it for a couple of years and I'd go downstairs and I'd play myself, but my opponent would be Efren. So like I'd pretend I was in the finals of world championship. I'd break the balls and then it would be Efren's shot. Then it would be my shot. And I'd get 70 to 80 shots into the game and still know whose turn it was. So I was wow. pretty, pretty, um, pretty obsessed with that. And I found what I, what, what I didn't realize I was doing is I was actually innovating the game. I was shooting shots that when I would go to the pool room, everybody was telling me, no, 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 no. Wrong That's, shot. Don't do that. That's not the yeah. right shot, right? And um, that actually manifested into something even much, much bigger and became my own style, which was really power one pocket that nobody back then, um, even Keith McCready, which I hear he might be coming on sooner or later, but even him, uh, he wasn't, and he was probably of his day, the most aggressive player there was Ronnie Allen in the seventies and sixties. He was the most aggressive player, but you know, now it's ridiculous. These kids now that they, they they're ultra aggressive, and I guess that's the way I was. Now that I'm older, I'm a little bit more uh, tentative to do the wrong things because I can move really well as well. So when you yeah. get knowledge, when you get knowledge, the uh, stupidity tends to go out the window, yeah. right? When you miss that ball enough times and it costs yep. you enough money, you start to realize that maybe it is the wrong shot. But yeah. but yeah. going but going back to that. Um, so I worked, I put all my energy from basketball. I mean, all of it in, in the pool. And that's what I did. Um, I was hurt. Uh, and I guess I just took the love that I had from basketball and turned it into pool because in basketball, see, it was cold there. Like most of the time. And I had a mini basketball court in my parents' basement and I didn't live in some million dollar house or anything like that, but I had the mini basketball and I had a free throw line and mm-hmm. I had little mini basketball games down there. So when it was snowing out, I would be playing downstairs. I played basketball eight to 10 hours a day, even yeah. through school. So I just took all that energy and put it into pool. My parents weren't real thrilled about that at all. Yeah. yeah it was a, that I was can a imagine. Deal. I can I, imagine. I was making, I actually, I'll just tell it real quick. I had a window in my bedroom and it was about a six foot drop. So, the guy that was a pro golfer, I wasn't old enough. I didn't have my license or a car yet. He would come. I would pretend I went to sleep and I had this Halloween mask. It was a gorilla, but it oh, had man. like, it had like the perfect hair. I cut it and, and it had like hair looked just like mine. So I put a basketball inside the mask, a smaller basketball. And then I made a dummy in my bed <laughs> and I, 
And I, he, Tom, That's awesome. his name was Tom. He had milk cartons in his trunk. We had this all planned out. And this happened four or five times a week. I don't know how I graduated high school, but I did. Wow. But he'd bring the milk cartons, set three of them on the ground. I'd jump out the window and off we went. And I'd be back home. We'd eat breakfast after the pool room. I'd be back home at 3.30 or 4 in the morning, get up at 7 for school. And I did this for like two years. Jeez. And, you know, it was tough. I barely graduated. I had like an outrageous number of days missed. And my, my parents knew I was up to something. They actually... I, that all came to a halt actually my mom yeah. caught me she had to do my i was gonna ask if you got caught <laughs> yeah yeah she caught me she had to do my laundry and she came in one night and she's like i i don't know but she found the dummy and figured it out and she actually come running down to the pool room and caught me and i was shooting and i was using a sneaky peep back then and i was playing a guy 50 game eight ball and there was a back door to the pool room encounters and i was shooting the eight ball and it's a true story. Anybody in Des Moines that's still alive and tell the story. She comes running through the back door and she screams over like eight tables. And it's like the whole place froze. She said, Scott defrost. If you shoot that eight ball, I'm going to break that cue in half and then bust it over your head. <laughs> and, and we're betting 50 a game. Right. Jeez. So I shoot the eight. Oh, I shoot man. the eight. And she comes running through everybody. And it's like time stopped. And she snapped the cue right over, right over her knee and, and drug me by my shoulder out, out the back door. No way. Yeah, That's nuts. Yeah, you yeah. know, we haven't even really started talking about pool too much. And these stories are already great. I can't yeah. wait till we start yeah. talking about pool. When yeah. was the moment that you feel like you arrived? So it could have been like a tournament or it could have been like a year or a couple year period <sighs> where you just felt like, hey, I'm here. I can play with anybody. Well, there was several moments where I felt like I hadn't arrived, but the, but the thing back then, how, how old are you, Joey? Uh, 48. Okay. I, I was so trying you, to keep so that you, a secret. You, yeah, no, <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Well, I mean, then you did grow up in the era, right? When did you start playing pool? Uh, I started when I was five years old. Okay. So, yeah. so you understand that no internet and cameras and all. Mm -hmm. Well, so for me, I lived in a small town and I really here's how I found out the, the owner of uh, encounters, Don McCoy, uh, not that he was a rude guy, but he was really to himself and everybody bugged him to play. And I know the feeling um, and everybody bugged him to play. And he was kind of past his years, right? He was like over it, burnt out, didn't really want to play pool. He wanted to do other things. And he, he actually committed to committed to me two years of playing and he made a deal with me. So this is kind of where I'm getting, I'm getting to it with a roundabout story. We would play $10 a game. I didn't want a spot. I never wanted a spot from anybody back then. I just refused it. I, if I couldn't beat you even, I didn't want to. I, I just kept coming after you. Um, but we play $10 a game, one pocket, from noon to 5 p.m., five days a week. And in the first year, I owed him 4700 And this is true, and, which is fine. And uh, I paid him. You just kept him. a running tap. Oh, okay. You yeah, that him. was the deal. Okay. I paid okay. him at the end of the year. That was the deal. Wow. But uh, that's when he started telling me, well, he act we, we didn't finish the year. He was real competitive, and we're still close. He actually has a place out here in Sun Valley now. Oh, uh, wow. But that's when I started realizing that I could do some damage because nobody knew me, right? Nobody really heard of me. I was only going on coming up on – 
19 years old. Um, so really, I felt pretty good about it. And he was telling me, he knew everybody, Keith McCready, Buddy Hall, they'd all come through to try to beat him back in the day. Um, and they didn't get there. And so he was telling me, man, it's, it's time. You're, you're about ready. And so that's kind of when I, that's, I guess, kind of when I knew. Yeah. What, what was the favorite, your all time favorite match of your career? Oh, it would have to be when I played Viffer, Dippy Dave, the guy that from poker after dark. I mean, there's two, that one. And the first time I beat Efren in at the Derby on the TV table, uh, with everybody watching, that was big, but both, both of those probably. Yeah. And I beat Viffer out of a million, 1.2 million. Um, and we started with 50,000. I gave him 18 to four. Uh, I was actually at a tournament in Mobile, Alabama. And I won the one pocket. Oh, wait. No, I think it was a bank ring game. I won the bank ring game and the bar table tournament. And Jeremy Jones and all the guys were there. Tough bar table tournament. I finally won that event. And Billy and Cardona called me. And he said, hey, what are you doing? And I said, uh, I'm in Mobile getting ready to probably play somebody. And he says, I need you to get out here. And I'm like, what's up? And he's like, well, we're in Vegas. And, and this Viffer is getting 18 to four from everybody. And he's busting them. He beat Bustamante out of 70,000. He beat Alex real bad. He beat Corey Duell out of 40 or 50. He beat like all these guys, right? And yeah. Billy, Billy felt like I might be able to outrun it uh, because I just, I just had a knack of outrunning big spots sometimes. And so we made a plan. I flew out there the next day, and Viffer was ready to play me because he'd beaten everybody. He knew I was playing as good as anybody, but still. So Billy, me, and Jack Cooney made a play, and Jack Cooney was involved. And I think Eddie Kelly was involved. But anyway, we put up 50000 right? And, and that's all we were going to shoot at, and we were going to play 10 ahead for 50000 <clears throat> And if we lose, we're done. And if we win... Uh, I already knew what I was doing. I'm double because Viffer wants to double every time, and I'm doubling, yeah. I'm doubling, I'm doubling. So, long story. Sh oh shoot! Sorry, <laughs> that's okay. Sorry, guys. I've got this propped up on fishing line, <laughs> <laughs> and a, and a, like some type of. That's elephant. awesome. But anyway, <laughs> so we play uh, ten ahead for fifty thousand, and it was pool sharks back then, which yeah. is now Griff's. But we played down in that pit. And I loved that pit because it was just, I knew that the eyes were on me and I always, I always played good when there was big eyes on me and I beat, I get, I played him 10 ahead for 50,000 at that time. I think pretty close to the biggest money I'd ever played for. This was a little over 10 years ago and I beat him in like uh, an hour and 45 minutes. Wow. It was unreal. Nobody, you know, nobody believed it. I beat him quick. And I beat him so quick. It was maybe it was a fluke set, but I beat him real quick. And I didn't even have time to look up at Billy. And we already, I already knew what he was going to do. Viffer says bet a hundred, and I, I didn't even look up at Billy. I said bet, and I beat him in like four hours. Yeah. Right. So I'm a hundred and fifty thousand winner, um, and here I am with like twenty dollars in my pocket. It was freaking crazy. <laughs> That's awesome. So. He's like, I think, I, I think he says bet 300 tomorrow. And I didn't even know, I, I couldn't even talk. So I said, deal with Billy. And we come back the next day, long story short, I never lost a set. I beat him like 11, 10 ahead sets out of 1.2 million. And I, I played unbelievable. I, I've never, I mean, I've never played like that. Lenny, Lenny saw part of that. Um, I ran 18 and out 
three times in one set. And it wasn't the 18 and out where you spot one ball and shoot it, spot one ball. I had to spot six. And then yeah. I, I would cut one, cut one, play bank shape, bank it, bank it, bank it, and then shoot it straight in. And I did That's that unreal. three times in one set. So it was that was probably the biggest that was the biggest rush of my career, no doubt. I mean, well, I think the biggest score yeah, of the 21st century. Yeah, I mean, you know, for a pool player, that's like a golden opportunity, right? Because you spend so yeah. many years grinding it out, you know, maybe a couple right. thousand here, a couple thousand there. And, man, it, it was almost like that was your stage and that was your opportunity. And it's like, hey, this is life-changing. I, if well, I just bear down yeah. here and play my best, you know, this, this is something that doesn't come around every day. No, and it doesn't, and it never does, maybe once in a lifetime. But I did play for tons of money, tons of money in my career. So, like I said, the 50000 R set might have been the highest, but I played a lot of – I've probably played uh, – I've played a lot of twenty and 30000 R sets in yeah. my career, like a lot, a lot. Well, but that, that was a life-changing moment. Yeah, that kind of leads me to my next question, because, you know, I remember when I first moved to Arizona, you know, went down to freezers, great place, you know, really enjoyed it, met you and you were like the businessman, you know, like, hey, freezers, you know, shaking hands, kissing babies, you know, it was like, you know, and I'm like, wow, what a nice guy, you know, this guy's awesome. And then we decided to play some, you know, hundred dollar, hundred dollar one pocket. And it's like something just switched, you know, and you went to like Mr. Intensity and I'm like, this guy's scaring the crap out of me, you know? And then after we were done, we shake hands. I paid you money, of course. But then after that, you're back to nice guy. And so I I guess my question is, is that something that just clicks in you? Is it a conscious decision, you know, where you're, you're pretty damn intimidating. I got to tell you. And Uh, is it, do you try to do that or does it just happen? No. I don't, that's not like part of my plan. I've heard this from close friends and my woman, she's like, you, you need to calm down. You're too intense sometimes when you play people. <laughs> um, I can promise you, and I can look everybody dead in the screen. That's not my plan. Um, probably, I think it carried over from basketball, right? Like I think when, but I'm like people that know me, like when I'm fishing or I'm doing anything that's got some type of competitiveness in it and i don't know it's a good thing and it's a bad thing because a lot of people get a bad uh representation of who i am because i come from a really good respectable family and i'm a totally different person in my house Mm -hmm. and around my friends outside of pool than i am on that damn green felt as we used to call it so it just happens just to answer your question it just happens it's not it's definitely not planned but I do feel looking back in my younger years, you know, I, I went through some stuff, man. And I, I went on the road most of the time by myself because every time I went with a partner, I either got robbed or it got really ugly. And, you know, there's a lot of jealousy there. If I'm playing more than the other guy, uh, you know, it just rarely works when you're with somebody. Partnerships on the road are tough, very tough. Um, so it just was natural, man. And, and that was just, and it still is. And the funny thing is I try to find that now because when I, when I try to play and, and it's hard, I feel like I was a trained warrior my whole life and I was in battle. That's what I looked like. I looked at it like I was a fighter. I, I yeah. felt like it because when you're in a ring, you're getting punched and you're punching back. And when you're playing a big money set, you're going to go through those swings, right? I'm going to yeah. get hit. I'm going to get hit several times and I'm going to have to hit back. 
And that's kind of the way I train. You know, I just felt like that's what I, I relate pool to fighting a lot, actually. And I, I'm not like a fighter, but I think that there's a lot of resemblances there. Yeah, no, that's a good analogy. So I have this new segment that I want to do, and you're my guinea pig. I'm going to try it out on you. Okay? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And uh, I'm calling it the speed round. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to name a player, and I'm going to give you one word. That first word that comes to mind about the player I say, no compound words, no two words, no like parentheses with a little phrase. One word. One one word. You got it? How quick do I got to say it? Like, Uh, I'll give you five seconds. Yeah, you could. You could. That's kind of the point. (laughs) We can have some fun with this. Okay, you ready? First player. Yeah. Yeah. Alex Pegulain. Intelligent. Danny Smith. Loose. Josh Roberts. Practice. Tony Chohan. Aggressive. That was fun. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that's really good. I, I yeah. actually, that's really good because that, that's really good, actually. I think you should, with the next guy, maybe do 10. I'm serious because oh, I really? think you can get a lot out of that. With one word, you can get a lot out of that. Because yeah. if you followed up and went back to probably why I said that, there's a lot to that, right? Yeah. People are like, practice, what the hell? But, you know, <clears throat> that's yeah. good, Joey. I like it. Very creative. Yeah. So tell me, uh, do you think Alex might be the most intelligent player out there? Yeah. 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 Now, Efren's not playing. <clears throat> yeah, he's the most intelligent player. I'm not going to say he's the best because uh, there's a lot of great players and he's getting older. He's my age. Um, but, you know, I beat... What people don't know, and this drives me crazy, and Eric is like, it shouldn't drive you crazy. I don't know why you let it bug you, but it drives <laughs> me freaking crazy. I beat Alex many times. He quit playing me, uh, playing one pocket. You know, He quit playing me. So, guys, last time Scott and I were recording this, his video froze, and then he got it unfrozen, but the recording kept it frozen, and... We lost like 40 minutes of, of content, and so Scott was gracious enough to agree to redo this part of the interview. So we're going to pick up right where we left off, and Scott, if you would, you were telling a story about how Alex wouldn't play you at a certain time. You know, he got to the point where he wasn't going to play you anymore, and then you were at Casino Arizona, and he called you. What happened? So Alex and I- Alex had called me. I'm at the poker room, and he had called me. And I'm literally, like, in a hand, and I had to put the phone down. I told him, hold on, I'm in a hand. I'll, I'll, I'll be right there. And then I picked the phone up, and he's like, hey, Scott, I can play you uh, if you want to play a pretty big set. And I'm like, okay, let's play. And he's like, well, there's a couple conditions. Uh, he's like, I've been playing on this table in L.A. It's a Brunswick, which I haven't played on Brunswick in a long time. And I'd been playing Shane Van Boney a thousand a game for about a month. And I was like, oh, but I was like, yeah, okay. I, I'll make a phone call and I'll see if I can play. And I called my Billy and Cardona and, and uh, Jack Cooney, who, who they always bet on me or staked me. And uh, I called them and they were like, yeah, no problem. Let's, let's go play. The problem was that I probably wasn't a hundred percent forthright with them. I don't know that, I don't know that that would have mattered. I I didn't. I hadn't been playing. I don't know that I lied to them, but I was in the freaking poker room. And to me, always in pool, poker and pool never never mixed because 
your wires get crossed. You're really gambling when you're playing poker, right? You're in a casino. I always felt like it didn't mix. For me, it didn't mix. It might for other people. But anyway, so we go ahead, and they realize that I'm not playing, right? And I do tell them that. It's not like I ever hid anything from them. But at the moment when I called them, I don't think that they knew I wasn't playing. But we get down there, and we both, we all, my team feels like I can overcome it because I was just dominating pretty much back then. Any, any Anybody I did uh, end up playing at the time, I was pretty much dominating. And uh, he beat me. Like, he, he wiped the floor with me. Like, he beat me quick. Uh, the table's a lot slower. I wasn't quite used to it. Uh, and, and I just, uh, I didn't play the way I should have played, and he played really well. You could tell that he knew the table like the back of his hand. And I could feel that, right? Like, I could feel it. Um, so he beats me, and I think, I can't remember what we're betting. And to me, see, that everybody's always worried about the freaking bet. And I apologize, but for, for me and most top players, the bet is just like a bonus, right? Like, for us, it's about winning. Like, it's about, for me, it was always about winning, even though in certain situations I did everything for the money. But it really, I think we're betting 20000 anyway. So we make an appointment to play. From there, I'm like, you know what? Uh, you'll play me on a diamond again now, right? He just, you just throttled me. And, and I didn't know if it was fortune or that he was just on that table. And, and to my whole point there on this is when the student becomes the teacher, like, he was picking stuff up from me, like like a lot of stuff, man. I wish I had, like, a little etch-a-sketch or something that I could do here. Like, he was too well kicking behind balls and sticking the cue ball. He was ticking off balls and putting me behind certain balls that he wasn't doing before. And, and I could see that he was picking little things up. And not just from me, but from a lot of, you know, top players. He, he was really soaking in the game. And so we, did, we make an appointment to play um, – a big match in Vegas. I think it was maybe within three months from that match in LA, three to four months, which is pretty soon with all the marketing and everything that they have to do. Um, so we're in Vegas now and we're uh, at um, good times on Charleston. We're good times on Charleston. They have a little pit. Table is perfect. I really like the table. Alex liked the table. Tight, tight table. I think four and an eighth, but played tighter because overclock. We ended up playing 138 games. We played six days, I believe it was. Um, uh, believe, yeah, it was seven ahead for for like 20. I'm not sure what the total bet was. I Maybe the bet got lower to me. Once again, that doesn't really matter. But we played like 138 games. And the whole time through that match, uh, I mean, it was a grueling match, like really freaking grueling. I guarantee Alex and I kind of laugh about it now. We've talked about it a few times. Like it, it took years off of both of our lives. Like it was freaking brutal, really intense. You know, you're talking like a lot of hours, a lot of days where, you know, you can hear a pin drop. Um, I had Floyd Mayweather's trainer there because a buddy of mine works with his trainer. He's passed away now, Rafa. Garcia, RIP, but I had a lot of people there in my corner, and the expectations probably overwhelmed me as well. Um, they, they tend to do that because there's always those expectations, but going back to Alex, he uh, that that's where the transition, and, and I'm sure playing Shane had a lot to do with it too, 
the transition of him becoming a really top one-pocket player, um, really understanding the game, and really becoming probably the most intelligent player in the game. Uh, yeah, of course he can shoot. We can all shoot. Like, that's that's great. But he understood shots that come up in the game that you just – most people aren't going to see. And, and, and he knew when to do it, right? Like, that's the key to one pocket is shooting the right shot at the right time. Everybody can see the right shot at the wrong time, but shooting the right shot at the right time. And he became really good at it. And, and I believe there um, – and I told him after that match, I said, you're the best. You're, you're the best player in the world now, um, which he was, I guess. You know, you play, you play six days, 138 games, and at that point I hadn't been beaten in many years in a big set. Um, and, and that includes Efren. And then all of a sudden – Alex calls me up out of the freaking blue, beats me in L.A., and then beats me in a long, grueling set in Las Vegas. You know, yeah. I, I, uh, but, I mean, I was never surprised about that with Alex, right? Like, he was he, – he, he's the lion, right? He, his nickname's the lion, and he, uh, he's not – you know, champions, world champions, don't take getting beat lightly, right? Like, they – they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to go crawl in a hole or they're going to go find a way to get back at that guy. And I, that's what I always did, right? You could beat me a thousand times. Sooner or later, I'm going to come back, and when I do beat you, I've got your number, right? Like, that's kind of how it went, always in the pool world. But that's where Alex became a, a top, top, well, the best, in my opinion, the best player. And it, it did it hurt my game? I don't really know that it hurt my game. Uh the problem with with the game in general, even now, uh, not with me personally, I could probably get plenty of games, <laughs> but you just don't have a lot of matches, right? Like you, you play a match and then you wait six months, and then you play a match and you wait four months, and then you play a match and you wait eight months, or you play a match and you wait a year. That's just not, you know, like it, when you're a pool player, you want to Pardon my French. You want to get off, right? Like you want to get off. You're looking, you're looking for that freaking rush. That same. You're always chasing. You're always chasing that same, that same rush and that same uh, mode to be in. That kill mode, and, and it just slowly, when you get older, it that 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 desire to find that and chase that when there's so much time in between and so much BS. Not not you know it. it tends to, the spark tends to kind of fizzle out, and, and it does, you know, and, it, 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 and I'm sure that has a lot to do with age and other things in life, but that's where Alex made his jump, and, and credit to the dude, man, he, he's an amazing player, yeah. all around, all around. What was your most crushing defeat? Crushing defeat? I think we've talked we've talked in the past, and you had a reality show idea that I think hit you oh, pretty hard. Yeah, um, yeah that that was that was big. Uh, I thought you were talking crushing defeat on the pool table. It was probably that match in L.A. Uh, because that was the catalyst to, if you want to say my downfall. See the problem with that, and I'll go back to my crushing defeat. But the problem with that match in L.A. was, and everybody 
everybody that comes up to me and Googles me or doesn't really know me then Googles me, oh, I watched you play Alex in L.A. Well, the problem is the matches I beat Alex before weren't on YouTube, right? <laughs> so this freaking match happens to be the only big match on YouTube, and I get slaughtered, but, but that's how it is. Um, crushing the feet was that we had a uh, – I was working with an executive producer uh, for A&E, and A&E and history are owned by the same people. So I was working for a top executive producer there, and we worked on this show, man, a long time. And I had to keep it under wraps. We worked on it for about seven years, did a ton of filming. The name of the show was called Money Players. A lot of people have seen the trailer. Joey, I think you've seen the trailer. I've sent it to a lot of people. But um, we worked really hard on it, uh, really hard. And it was a real reality show. There wasn't anything scripted or set up. And uh, I did think at the time that that this country could have used this show because there was a lot more than just pool in it, right? There was gambling, the way of life, hotel rooms, watching your back, like the real the real parts of the road. And uh, as literally, literally the same month period as I'm getting ready to sign on the dotted line, and I am down there in L.A., I'll never forget it. I even threw up outside uh, before or after this happened. I think I was so nervous I threw up before. When I get super, super nervous, I throw up. Uh, it doesn't happen too often, but I'm talking super nervous. I'll throw up. Uh, nobody knows, but... Now you know. So we go to sign the paperwork, but my exact producer's name was Stuart Swezzy, and we're still friends on Facebook. Shout out to Stuart Swezzy. Uh, he says, we got to go upstairs and talk to the boss. And his mood was somber. Like I could tell, he just wasn't talking. And I didn't know if he couldn't talk about something or what, what the deal was. We go up and sit in front of this desk, and Stuart pulls out this video on his phone. The, the exec, the, his boss had led to this video, and it was the show True TV Hustlers. And that show was a, a reality show, um, if you remember, that was totally scripted. It had a low budget, um, and it was based out of Steinway Billiards in New York, which uh, it, it, it wasn't a great show. You know, I know they were trying. They were trying to do their best. Uh, just wasn't a great show, and the, and the problem is that the ratings on that show bombed, mm. and it was on True TV. So all these networks know each other, right? They know the ratings of each other, and they know what that that's their business. Well, the ratings on that show bombed, and these producers don't know whether that's a good pool show or not compared to what we're doing, really, because they're not pool players. And he's like, dude, we can't take this chance. And my, my producer, Stuart Swezzy, was disgusted, too. He'd put in, like, seven years of freaking editing and all this hard work, and he had all this back film and all the... I mean, he went everywhere. Like, he was at Derby. He was down south with me. He was at the at the Derby in Tunica. He, he was everywhere. We had a ton of film. Vegas, all sorts of film. Uh, but that, that fell through. After, like, seven years, and I am... It, right at the time when I was going to sign this contract, and we had like seven other guys on this show, and we were going to bring in a bunch more, like a bunch. So that fell through, and that was, that was God, I don't even know how long ago that's been now, um, but it had to be at least 10 years ago. Uh, I lived in the apartment back then. I was still in Erica, probably 10 years ago. So yeah. that, that, that was pretty crushing. 
Because I, you know, it wasn't about the money, but exposing the life, who knows where it could have taken the game, really. You know, could have really helped in America, which pool needs help in America. Yeah, that sounds heartbreaking. I know just from doing this podcast, you put your heart and soul into something. You got an idea and you get all your momentum going towards it. And uh, kind of be let down like that at the end, that must have been really tough. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, we moved on, just moved on. It took probably, it took me a few weeks, but I just dusted myself off and moved on. Yeah, so I imagine you have a road story or two that you could share with the audience, something that might entertain sure. them a little bit. Um, let's see, road story or two. Okay, I was, I think I was 20, I think I was 20 or 20 or 21, and I'd hooked up with Ronnie Wiseman, and back then, Corey Duell, Ronnie was taking Corey Duell around, he was taking Alex around, and he was taking, well, then he started taking me around, I kind of came up on the scene, and Ronnie was no dummy, right, like, he could see the young top, top guys coming along, and he would latch on to them. And he was, Ronnie was good, don't get me wrong, he, he knew a lot of good places, he knew where the money was, and uh, he got a hold of me, and we decided to, to hit the road, but we, he had some, some real good marks in, in, in his eyesights, and so we go to a spot in Ocala, Florida, um, and uh, in Ocala, Florida, there was this guy named uh, Tony Baloney, and he was actually a mobster. He owned a string of Italian restaurants, and he was around 71 or 72 years old. But he was in good shape, and he was one of them hardcore, in good shape, small Italian guys that, like, he was just a rough-around-the-edges type guy, but but clean-cut. He was just like a little bulldog, right? And uh, every, but the funny thing is, when we get to this pool room, it was upstairs, so we had to go up these stairs. I mean, I just never forget. I have a lot of good memories in my in my career, but this was a good one. So we go up these stairs, and, and as soon as I get up the stairs, Jack Cooney and a lot of people, you know, now nowadays the pool has changed so much, and it's unfortunate. But Jack Cooney was one of my idols, like my superheroes. I'd never got to meet him or anything like that. But we get up these stairs, and Jack and Barbara Cooney are sitting over in a corner, and they've got a cooler. Uh, they've got their own pool of water and ice and sodas. And I'll, I'll um, lead on to that. The reason they had their own coolers so that somebody couldn't put something in their drink. Mm. We, we, we did that in a lot of places. This spot was actually known for Mickey and you, or uh, th- there's different terms, but where the bartender could put something in your drink um, and you wouldn't know it. Like you, 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 you would feel different, but you would feel like you feel good but you couldn't make a ball. And, and, <laughs> and there's there's a drug out there that does that. So when I come up the stairs, I see Jack, and I'm like, oh, my God. And I want to go say hi to him, uh, but we're on the road, and I don't want to knock him. So I just turn left, and as I turn left, my heart's freaking pounding, and I'm like, man, if, if, if Jack is here, I'm in the right place, right? <laughs> like, there's a reason he's here. Um, so... We actually spent probably about a week there. We spent probably about a week there before. Actually, I'll be honest with you. Probably spent five days, four or five days, uh, before I got down with Tony Maloney. Now we in in 
I know we re-recorded this show, but you could go back and play the old one, and this is how you can kind of fact-check my story, <laughs> because my numbers and everything are all exactly right, because I just never will forget it. We had $7,200, and we're going to play 1000 a game, and Ronnie makes the freaking game for me, and I'm giving him 9-6 to six to break, and his fouls don't count. So that means he gets the break, he goes to 6, I go to 9, and he can push the cue ball anywhere he wants, any shot, and he doesn't get a penalty penalty for it, right? And when he scratches, he doesn't get a penalty for it. And I've never given up that game, so there's a certain style to giving up that game. But anyway, I lose the first seven games. I'm absolutely clueless. We only have 7,200. I'm absolutely clueless to this game. I'm kind of like flustered mentally. I don't know where to leave the guy. I feel like the spot's bigger than it really was. I was just giving it too much respect. So Ronnie is not happy. I'm down 7000 <laughs> a 1000 a game, and we've got $200 to get back to Detroit, Michigan. And, and it, it wasn't any good. Um, so anyway, he's like, come here. You know, in his big deep voice, come here. So I go over there. He's like, we got to quit. you know. And as I'm talking to him, I'm like, dude, I feel like I, I turn around, I hear the clicking of the balls, and I turn around, and Tony Bologna broke and kissed off a ball and scratched, and a ball jumped up in front of my, like, in where I could make it. I had ball in hand. And I'm like, dude, i got to play this game. And I don't even <laughs> I don't even listen to Ronnie's response, right? I'm a kid. I'm 40 years old. Yeah. But I shot straight, man. And I go back, and seventy. Uh, 70- Six. We played 76 hours. No way. Yeah, I think it, would, it was the longest I'd ever played. I think we played, I was 86,000 winner. Wow. I, I was, we were down to our last barrel and I was 86,000 up. And I ended up getting up a lot more than that. We lost, Ronnie asked me to lose 20,000 back intentionally. So while I'm playing Tony Baloney, um, the guy's 71, 72 years old, he was shooting at my pocket. Like, he's so delirious that uh, he was shooting in my pocket. Now, mind you, he's a mobster. And by this time, I think word had gotten out around town, but he had two sons, and his kids were not small. He was small, his kids were, or maybe they weren't his sons, you know, now, <laughs> now that I think about it. But these were young, dark-complected guys, and they were just dead quiet in leather jackets watching us play, and, and we're into, like, the 60th, 70th hour. And um, Ronnie had me lose like 20000 back. And finally, you know, I kept telling Tony, I said, Tony, man, look at your legs. His legs were blue. They were blue. Like, he, he was in bad shape. So anyway, long story short, they had to carry him down the stairs, these two guys. And they took him straight to the hospital. Um, and so that, but I won, I won a lot of money at I would be lying if I told you the exact amount, but I know I was up eighty six thousand. I didn't. I was exhausted and I didn't sleep for like another twenty four hours. I was just like Ronnie was passed out. Like I can remember him snoring, and I'm laying on my bed looking at the ceiling, and it's dead quiet. I'm like, oh my god, I'm rich. <laughs> wow. I'm thinking I'm rich. I was just a kid. I was twenty years old, right? Um, so that was that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Um, and then, you know, I mean, I, I've got ups, that, that was a that was a fun story. And then I've got a a, a, a dangerous story, too, um, that I'll tell real quick. I know my stories kind of tend to drag on forever. 
Um, but I was in Detroit, and, and there was a pool called Oak Park. And it was at uh, Nine Mile and Quinder. So you've heard of Eight Mile, where yeah. Emily grew up. This was right next door. And I spent like two years there in this area. Um, it was a rough, rough room. But there was big money in there, big money. And I'm playing this guy, Black Sam. And everybody actually, Black Sam still goes to the Derby. Black Sam's still around. Cool guy, not a bad guy, but he loves to gamble. Not a top, top player, but makes games and will bet pretty high. And I was playing him, but the whole reason I was playing him is that there was this guy backing him, and his name, the guy's name was Ivan. The guy just had every night I went to the pool room, Ivan would come up to me and he maybe, maybe just kind of liked me and we hit it off and he just had buckets of freaking money. He'd pull his pockets out and there was just stuff. He couldn't spend his money fast enough. And so I was beating him out of two, three, five thousand every single night. I flew my girlfriend out there. Not the girl I'm with now, but uh, this other girl way back then. I, I, I think I was around 23 or 24 back then. So we're playing and I'm like camped out there now. I've got one of them freaking... Uh, Homewood Suites things where it's got a kitchenette and like I'm going to the shopping center every day and getting shoes and this and that. But Ivan and I became pretty good friends, right? But I never asked him what he did for his money. But I started getting this funny feeling. <clears throat> and we went to dinner the night before this happened. He took me and my girlfriend, Black Sam, we all went and had a steak somewhere. And then we went to the pool room and played that night. And then the next night we're playing. And if you can imagine a pool room, um, and we're in the back corner of the pool room, and there's always a back door to every freaking pool room, it seems like. And he would just go out the back door and smoke a cigarette, right? Like, we, we just would go in and out the back door and smoke cigarettes. And this night, Ivan's like, we, we took in a quick break. I wasn't in a good mood. I was losing. And this night, Ivan asked me, he's like, hey, you want to come take a drag? I'm like, no, man, I'm good. I was pissed. Like, I, I think Sam stole a game from me or something, and I was down like 1,200 or something like that. I just wasn't, wasn't I was losing. So he, I turned him down to go out and take a drag of a cigarette with him, and the next thing you know, I hear this big bang. He'd walked out, and I didn't know what the heck the bang was, and it was a steel door and a big brick building. So that's all I heard was a bang. And... Um, I'm the first one to the door. Like, I go straight to the door, and I don't see anything but these two trucks taking off. And I look down, and it's Ivan. And he's looking up at me, and he's missing his hand. His hand got blown off over the building. But anyway, he got murdered. He got murdered. They rushed him, um, and he put his hand up to stop the gunfire. That was obviously his natural reaction. Um, and they killed him. Um, but I held him. I, I pulled him inside, and he bled all over me. He was missing a big chunk out of his neck. Uh, but the point to this was is that I would have been killed there too if if I'd have gone outside. Uh, but that that was a that was a interesting time, right? Like he he was a he ended up doing some bad things and stole a bunch of high end drugs, from what I understand, from the wrong people. And I'd had that suspicion. Like and and here my dumbasses, pardon my language, running around to dinner with him and just just to make some money. You know? Yeah. But that's just one story. That's how it can be great, like down in Florida, and that and then that's how it can be really bad. 
and it can turn really quick, you know. I've had some bad stuff, like, go down, you know, bad, like, really bad, yeah. you know, for me, like, not good, but um, those those days really aren't like that anymore, like, that day, those days are pretty much long gone, and I, I attribute that to cell phones, camera phones, the internet, um, and, you know, casinos, you know, really, when camera phones came out and the internet, it, 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 um, it almost shut off overnight. Yeah. It was weird. It's really weird. Well, Scott, thanks for sharing that. Well, both Absolutely. those stories and, and that one, especially, I mean, that had to be pretty tough to go through. So let me lighten it up a little bit. Uh, I know you haven't, over, you know, since Freezers, you know, you haven't been playing as much over the last, you know, four years or three or four years. Um, but I'm still going to put you in my top five one pocket players. And, uh, you know, just because what you've accomplished and no, uh, I, you know, if I think if you hit balls for, uh, you know, a month at any <laughs> given time, you got to be right in the conversation. So who would you say are the, the other four in the top five? Uh, I, I would say Dennis, Alex, Damn, I said this. Dennis, Alex, Bustamante, Choham. Uh, Dennis, Alex, Bustamante, Choham. Yeah. What about what about Shane? Like, if Shane yeah. really dedicated himself to one pocket, you think he could be in that top five? No doubt, no doubt. But but he didn't, right? I mean, we can. What about sir? Like, in my opinion, you know. I, I was playing a guy at Freezers today, and he said, man, if I'd have done this, I'd have made that ball. And I'm like, dude, if Michael Jordan won black, he wouldn't have been a superstar. It's like, <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying, like, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, Shane would have been great if he would have uh, worked at that part of his game. But he didn't. So he became a world champion, one pot, nine ball player. But, yeah, Shane, no doubt. No, no discredit to Shane. He definitely would have been. Or he, listen. Shane won the Derby one pocket, I think, two years in a row. Yeah. It took me my whole life to win it once. Well, I did make the finals the year before. But, uh, yeah, Shane's a great player at the game. He's, he's, a, he's a great player at one pocket. But he just needs to play it. Like you said, he needs to play for three weeks a month. If I played every day for three weeks to a month where I'm kind of gambling a little bit, I think I'm back there somewhere. You know, I know I can beat the top, top, top guys. There's no doubt. There is no doubt. But Shane would have been a great player uh, if that's all he played. But I don't I don't fault him for choosing the path he chose, you know. He's done really well for himself. Yeah. So I know you guys go fishing a lot, you and Shane. Yeah. Or well, I, talk I about talk to him. They do, yeah. So who's the better fisherman? Oh, God. Joey, you're brutal, man. <laughs> Shane Shane does nothing but holds the pole out there. Like, I work. I work. Like, I deal with temperatures and structure and drop-offs and all sorts of different things. Bait runs, lakes turning over. No, no, Shane loves to fish. Um, it's just a different style. He actually caught his record fish, his what we call PB, uh, personal best, 39-inch lake trout today. And oh, really? He sent me pictures. And it's funny, and I'm going to call him out. <laughs> he asked me if I could be the judge between him and Darren Appleton, who I think, because I think they both know that I'm the man when it comes to fishing. <laughs> so they, they look to me to be the judge, right? So I, that's obvious that I'm the man. 
Yeah. Um, That's funny. So Shane's like, God, I wish I could pull this up. I don't even care. But he's like, who's the better fisherman, me or Darren Appleton? Darren's catching them damn ugly-ass carp, and I'm over here catching these lake trout. And I'm like, uh, well, first off, carp's a bottom feeder, so it shouldn't even count. They fight good, though. They fight good. Yeah, but they're not even a game fish, dude. I know. People catch carp and throw them up in the bank. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. No, anyway, I won't go there. No, but fishing is fun. Uh, and Shane you probably won't admit to this, but he didn't fish until I got to it. I begged him. I was like, dude, you have to start doing something else. You have to start doing something else. So he finally starts fishing. He starts ice fishing. And then I'm like, dude, you have to get a boat. Dude, you have to get a boat. Now I don't want to boat. Yeah, I don't want to boat. Next thing I know, he's posting pictures of his boat. <laughs> so he, he loves fishing, and, and there's a lot of similarities to fishing and pool. You get in your zone, and you're, you're chasing one object, and, you know, there's a lot. It goes deep, you know. Uh, I have some good friends that are like, what do you like about fishing? And th some people just don't get it, you know. And those friends probably know who they are. Yeah. Um, but... You know, they're, you fish a little bit, right, Joey? Yeah, yeah. My first big purchase was a bass boat, a used bass boat. That's right. You know, and, uh, you know, I bought that when I was 18, and there was a little reservoir near my parents' house. And, you know, I used to go out on that thing, and, you know, I caught a four-pound largemouth one time. And oh, for yeah. Maryland, that's not bad, you know? No, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, that's so. That's a huge fish in Maryland. I, I got to get out with you one day, and, uh, you know, Absolutely you, you take do. me around and get, get me a 10-pounder. You know, uh, I see the, some of those fish you're holding. Yeah, I got to get me a ten pounder. It's been tough. It's been tough lately. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, but to my point, like you know that fishing is there. There's fishing, and then there's fishing, right? Like you can really get into it, and 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 it'll get you. It'll get you. Yeah. And I've I've done it my whole life. I just like to do it. Yeah. So Scott, I you know, I think everybody knows that you know three four years ago you went through a shift, right? From sure. You know, pretty much full time pool player to really businessman. And, you know, with freezers and there's other business endeavors that you've been uh, involved with lately. And I just want to give you a chance to kind of talk about those uh, as well as some of your sponsors and just like let you give a shout out. Thanks, man. And then props to you, dude. Uh, you're, you're blowing up, dude. You're the next <laughs> Joe Rogan in the pool world, bro. You are the, you are the Joe Rogan uh, in the pool world, bro. I'm jo Joey Rogan. <laughs> Joey Rogan. Um, just Thanks, saying. man. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, so just so I hope that a lot of people watch your podcast because you've got a heck of a podcast. You know, I just want people to understand that when, when you go through things in life and you do something you love and then it becomes a job, sooner or later that transition is going to happen. And I came from a really good family. Like I always promised my family I wouldn't end up like somebody – you know, I'm not going to name names, but I, I'm just not going to be that guy that takes his last nine breath trying to make the nine ball at 96 years old or whatever with a cigarette hanging in my mouth. And it, just not that guy. So I mentally made that shift like when I was around 40 years old. I'd always told myself that I'm going to transition to other things in life when, when I get to that age. And so I guess that's kind of the problem maybe with my pool game now. Um, well, I don't know. I've got a match coming up, so we'll see. But I, I, I made that decision, and I decided to build freezers. My partner, Jason Chance, is 
really the one behind it. I designed it, developed it. I was I was kind of the brainchild, finding the location, designing it, and all that. Um, and that's still going to rock. It's going to be better than ever. Um, we took over more space, and it's almost done. They were in a redesign. The problem is when COVID hit, we couldn't get. We started the redesign, but you could when COVID hit, the permits stopped. Mm. Right. So once the once the thing kind of let up, the permit started again, and it's almost it's almost complete. But beyond that, you know, I'm always kind of into something, and I, I'm starting a fireworks business. Um, a friend of mine owns several Christmas tree farms. Um, shout out Sean Brooks, and uh, you know, I worked for him the summer for free, and we really just wanted to build. And it's not illegal what I'm doing there. So it's, it's it, I'm starting that business. Have another business that I can't talk about. It's really going to be a great business. You'll see it. Everybody will see it. We're about to launch that. And, you know, so I'm busy. And then I do have a lot of sponsors. I need to thank QB Custom Cues. I've been with Ken Thyman for a long time. And who was I? Jack Circuit. I was playing Jack, uh, training with Jack at Freezers the other day. And Jack said, God, you know, I, I think QB Custom Cues might be the most underrated cue maker in the world. Hmm. And he's really, he really is a great, great cue maker. So shout out to my man Ken Thyman and QB Custom Cues out of St. Louis. Been with me for years. Um, and I never sold my cue like most of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, Simona, Simonis and Aramith, Ivan Lee with Simonis and Aramith, uh, they don't sponsor pool players, so I'm blessed to have them behind me. I'm looking at my tournament shirt, guys, just so you know, so that I can, and I've got, uh, Hey, that's Brian a good Davis. problem, Scott, when you have to look them all up, you know, some people no. are dying to get no, one. No, 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 no. <laughs> They're pro they got cobwebs on. I'm actually dusting the cobwebs off. <laughs> but I, I've got to thank Mike Gwynn. Mike yeah. Wynn and Realty One, one of our local guys here that support me uh, and support pool in general, dude. Like yeah. the guy, he's as good as they get. I've got to thank Peggy with GQ. She's been behind me uh, so many times. Uh, so Peggy, God bless you. Acme, Omega Billiard Products, Acme Q Cases, Mike Hong, he's the man. Uh, they, they do a lot of great stuff with pool, and they make a really good product. So... You know, those are those are just my sponsors in Diamond Tables. Actually, Greg Sullivan, the owner of Diamond, called me today, and I'm supposed to call him back. We're working on um, designing a one-pocket table. I'm actually they called me to be involved, so that's kind of cool. So, and then and then another thing that I'm doing, and I got to thank uh, one of one of my main sponsors, if you want to call them a sponsor, is Tony Bloom and Julie Bloom. But Julie Bloom. And Royalty Core Grills. Um, they're a custom truck grill and headache rack company out of Eugene, Oregon. And let me tell you something, guys. I can get you a great price, but it's a top-of-the-line product. Uh, they, the company's been in existence for over a decade, actually well over a decade. And it's a premium product, lifetime warranty, solid stainless steel, paint, powder-coated, chromed, hand-polished, um, really high-end product. They use Vision X light bars in their grills, only compared to by Rigid. So top-of-the-line stuff. That's RoyaltyCore.com, or you can look us up on Facebook. I run all the social media pages. They're uh, Facebook and IG. Um, so if you're interested in a, a truck grill, 
please hit me up. I'll give you 10% off if you get it from this, all right? Oh, nice. I love it. A discount code. I uh, might get fired, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I might get fired. Well, you know, Scott, I tell you, I've seen you post the pictures of those grills. Yeah. And, you know, I don't own a truck. I own, like, a small Infinity. I love it. It's a quick little car. Yeah, it takes me nice around. Car. But, like, seeing those grills, I'm like, man, I should get a truck so I could have one yeah, of those okay. grills because they're awesome. You know, Thanks, they're, they're really thank nice. They're really yeah, nice. They, do a, they build a beautiful product. Well, hey, Scott, thank you so much. I mean, it, you know, for the viewers at home that are watching this, I mean, you know, Scott and I really went through it with the technology. But he was so good oh, to come cool. back, record the second half of this, and I appreciate that. So, Scott, I want to give you an opportunity just any final thoughts that you have for your fans out there or, or just anything in general? No, man, I, I just, I, I hope that people keep playing the game, you know, uh, and, and don't get stagnant. Don't, don't play the same guy every night, you know. If you want to get better, take it serious. Don't jerk around. If you've got a table in your house, don't, don't walk by it and just start banging balls around, you know. Dedicate, dedicate a certain amount of time every week to being serious and if you're trying to get better if you really want to get better you'll find a way but if you're just saying it with that with that air coming out of your mouth and no feeling behind it then it's probably not going to happen but if you really want to get better you'll make it happen find a way to do it if you guys have questions everybody knows i message them back no matter where you are in the country or in the world i always try to message people back and if people have questions they can always reach out to me i am always willing to help always so just uh you know keep playing one pocket band it's the best game on the planet all right man thank you joey thanks to everybody out there the best podcast share it like it and subscribe <laughs>